morning. It's lovely to see you, um, and it's lovely to see uh, a, a sense of return. My name's Stephen, in case we've not met before, or in case you've forgotten. <laughs> it's been a while, um, and I realize we've been in a, a season where we've been we're now encouraging people to uh, return and recover that sense of rhythm when it comes to our, our shared life of, of worship, public worship together. Though it's amazing people can still join us from home because we recognize that even in this moment we're at, it's still not straightforward. Um, some won't feel ready, some will be isolating, some won't be able to. So, um, it's, it, But it is a privilege when we ha- have a chance uh, to gather uh, together. We started a series last week on the book of Jeremiah, and we called the series Jeremiah, a Prophet for Changing Times. And we introduced Jeremiah as being a prophet from the crisis tradition. He existed and was born into the greatest crisis of the people of God in the Old Testament, the time where the the city of Jerusalem, the people of Israel and Judah were, were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire that rose up destroyed the kings and the temple. And we kind of give an overview of that last week to show the the size and scale of the crisis um, for the change in times that the prophet Jeremiah was called to speak into. He was indeed a prophet for change in times. And this week, um, the message is called How Lonely Sits the City. And it's a reflection from Lamentations, which is a lament on the destruction of Jerusalem that we, we began to think about last week. Now, I, must, I want to show how indebted I am to some other thinkers and, and writers. There's a, a pastor in America called Brian Zand, and I found his sermon series on Jeremiah particularly helpful in showing some of the connections um, to the gospel reading that you, you'll, uh, you've just heard read. Um, others, as uh, Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, Kathleen O'Connor, um, who's written a brilliant book on lament, and uh, David Smith, who's a theologian from, he hails from this part of the world, um, that have been really helpful in just forming our thoughts on, on this series. So we are thinking this morning about uh, Jeremiah's lament of the downfall of Jerusalem, and we are bringing into the room things that we would tend to normally leave out. That's what I think lament tends to do. It tends to encourage us to bring into the room, to name some of the things that we are tempted to leave out. My first proper personal experience or, or thought on this whole topic of lament goes way back to where I was studying uh, for theology at Aberdeen around, I think it was 2008. Um, it, it was really a time where I got introduced properly to this whole idea of lament. I remember sitting in my um, seminar group, and I, I remember my main goal at one seminar was really to convince people that God still heals today, and that was just something that was going on in my mind. But the, under the tutelage of a, a professor called John Swinton, um, he, he introduced us this concept of lament. Now, I had heard of lament, and I, I got the concept before, but this was my first proper time to consider. And I always remember, and I've shared this story before here, I think, when he, he, he tells this story, and it's in one of his books, Raging with Compassion, where he uh, went to a church. Now, this is at the time where, if you recall the tragedy of the Oma bomb in Northern Ireland, um, a, a horrendous thing led to the massive loss of life and many people being injured and maimed, both Protestants and Catholics. It was a horrendous incident. 
And he tells the story of going to church that week. It was in Scotland. It wasn't in Northern Ireland. Going to church that week. And kind of with all the heaviness of that, kind of, you know, coming into church, experiencing that, and wanting to just worship God in that moment. And he tells a story in his book, and he told us in, in class of, you know, the service began, the songs began, the, the, the cheerful songs began, the sermon came, the prayers were said, the benediction was said, and off we went home. And not one word was mentioned about the horrific tragedy of the Oma bomb. And he, that, that bothered him. <laughs> That bothered him, and he was just drawing us into this, uh, this theme of lament. He, listen to this quote, just to tee up a wee bit with where we will be going uh, later on in, just in this message. This is by uh, Pastor Will Willimon, um, who says this. He's speaking of the Psalms of lament, but you could extend it to other uh, literature in the Bible. The Psalms of lament provide good Jewish ballast, like weight or structure, to our sometimes superficial and just a wee bit too cheerful Christian piety. So we learned last week about the events of the downfall of Jerusalem. You can find the scenes of devastation just outlined in in some detail in Jeremiah 39, which depicts the graphic downfall of Jerusalem, the king, the temple, and, and how it was all just devastated. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar and his men had broken the city walls, and all the officials, the king of Babylon, came and took the, the seats in the middle gate and sat there. And then King Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, and they fled. They left the city, and they left at night by the way of the king's gardens uh, through the gate between two walls. But the Babylonian army pursued them and caught up with them, and captured them, plucked out Zedekiah's eyes, killed all the noble men, took Zedekiah's children and killed them in front of him, bound them up, set fire to the royal palace and the houses of the people, and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. 500 years of kings reigning over the people of God the temple, the untouchable temple, the place where the living God was, dwelt among his people was destroyed, taken down. The kings were no longer in their throne. Exile was in force and two lots carried away. Women and children were scattered and starvation had broken out as well documented in in the lamentation where their children searched for food in the streets but could find no food. Fear, terror, and just a profound sense of confusion um, reigned in that horrendous uh, time that Jeremiah had warned the people about. He said, return, repent, and the Lord will will alleviate, and and they refused in their stubbornness. They kept going on, and what Jeremiah prophesied ended up uh, coming into being. And that was their destruction. And Lamentations is an uncomfortable but excellent place where we start to get a sense of, of what Jeremiah's response was to this. 
And well, we, we heard it read, part of it anyway. I encourage you, if you want, just to, to read all of the book of Lamentations. But lament is an expression of grief. It's a, a complaint or an ache that comes from a heart that is, I guess, disturbed about how the world is or about how their place or their law in life is. It's just, it's, it's just a, a bellyache of a cry against the situation of, of tragedy that has come upon him. And the Hebrew Bible is, is just full of lament, much more so. If you just took the book of Psalms alone, you, you'll find that the weighting of it is hugely towards uh, songs and poems of lament. Jeremiah, in some ways, he was a poet. He, he made art. Um, uncomfortable art out, out of the sense of darkness. And if I can just give a, a slight aside on this, I, I really know nothing about writing songs. I should declare that. But I think there's something here about making art and making art out of your pain. There's, there's something about writing to address God from the heart, not writing just to write something that other people will sound good or be popular or what maybe you think you should say or what will sell. But it is something here about an art that is written out of the darkness, out of the pit, that is directed to God and for his ears alone. And there's something about the specificity of that, that and the particularness of that, that other people can start to go like, you're starting to name my pain too. That would be my advice if you're into art, and that's where my lessons in art would finish. But... Notice Jeremiah's response, and notice the artistic honesty, it's a phrase that Brian Zand used as a response. Artistic honesty. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I'm in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I've been most rebellious. Her filthiness clung to your skirt. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There's none to comfort her. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Notice as well, there's a, a mixture in the book of Lamentations as a whole of acceptance of God's judgment and his anger and it's a sense of, yeah, do you know what? In this case, it's, it's our fault. And Jeremiah is, there's the, the personification of the city as, as a woman. And, and at times Jeremiah takes on that uh, personification himself. And there's this genuine sense of acceptance of this was God's judgment. But there's also glimmers of going like, this is not right. There, it, our human rights have been violated. And there's a sense of more of a tussle of the than we think between this. It's our fault or God. God, this is not our fault. And, 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 and it goes back and forth and we'll come to that in the other weeks about this sense of the anger of God. But notice also the, the emotions that are, are present in the readings that you've heard this morning. Maybe emotions that we don't normally associate with, um, certainly not worship. Emotions like sadness, anger, Particularly in the, the Psalms, you hear expressions of anger. Bitterly, she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. 
This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Emotions we tend to maybe get embarrassed about, push out of sight. We make not right. We displace. But they're here. They're throughout the text and the response. Notice the confusion, the doubt, and the lack of resolution, um, particularly at the end of the book of Lamentations. Confusion, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old. And then it finishes at 5.19 at the end, 22. And this is how it finishes the whole book. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Full stop. No resolution. What about the awful silence? Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. No need answers in prayer from Jeremiah. Like, well, sometimes it's a yes or a no or a not yet. Not here. It's just an awful, empty silence. Nothing from God. Of course, this contrast of all this, talked about it already, of, of honesty with the denial, this contrast of the honesty with the denial of the false prophets who tried to uphold what we said last week, peace, peace, when there could be no peace. They, they, they tried to hold a line for as long as they could and Jeremiah warned the walls are coming down and this, this moment of, of honesty was, was going to come. And lament there here is the, the language that, that starts to break the silence. It, it starts to, to name realities that don't get mentioned, and it creates a, a journey. And this is what lament does. It creates a journey and, and, and a sense of, of struggle towards understanding or, or a struggle towards regaining a sense of the good times, a sense of peace and a sense of restoration. A sense of, of just moving forward, though it never feels like that. The lament will not feel like taking steps forward, but it is. It becomes a journey and a wrestle. And it's not neat theology. What you find in the book of Lamentations is not neat theology. Good luck if you try and systematize it, make sense of it, and try and write you know, logical books that make sense of it. It is not a book it's like that. It's a book that helps you pour forth and, and just get out what is in there in order for you to start to make steps forward again. Though, as I said, it doesn't feel like that. And then there's always this moment in lament where there's this movement, and you see this in the Psalms. You've seen it in the Psalm that Fiona read, although we tend to think of, of it in, a, in, in, like in a blink of an eye, we get to the resolution, but it's a journey again, but there's a movement in lament towards hope. And in the Book of Lamentations, there's really 
two moments where the, the, the dark clouds sort of crack and the, and the light gets in, just, just really briefly, um, in chapter 3, which says, because of the Lord's great love, famous words, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And then there's also the hope of, of a do not fear. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears. Do not, uh, do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called to you and you said, do not fear. That's the glimmers of light and hope. Just cracking through the dark, stormy clouds. But the lament has this movement towards hope, but the, the hope now is not grounded in a particular outcome. There is no sense in what Jeremiah is lamenting and saying here of, I now have the solution to this horrendous situation that we now find ourselves in. The hope is not in an outcome. The hope is just, it's, he cannot even fathom what the solution might be to this. Like, how would you find a solution to the temple being destroyed and the, the kings being eradicated, the lion being destroyed? There is no solution, none whatsoever. He's given up all sense of hope, having this, this outcome that he can perceive, understand, control, but his hope now is, is grounded in the character of God. It's, it's just, in, it's hope is, and that's what the lamentals, it draws you into that place where the, the hope just becomes, God, it's, it's in you. Your steadfast love, it's in you are my hope. And what about us in our moments of devastation or desolation? And I, 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 I've been just, almost shaking my head in disbelief at the, the parallels to our global community right now as I've been reading, my mind just being in the book of Jeremiah and in Lamentations. Enforced exile, women mistreated, children being thrown over barbar fences, the destruction of cities. I, if you ever want to see what, uh, what this looks like in action, we, we have seen it, and we, we're seeing it, and, and we live right today with the fear of more attacks, and we see what destruction looks like on that scale on a, when a city gets taken down or when people get displaced. I couldn't agree more with the words of Kathleen O'Connor, who's the author of a book called Lamentations and Tears of the World, who says... For survivors of civil wars, destroyed cities and genocides, for refugees and for those who subsist in famine and destitute poverty, the poetry mirrors reality with frightening exactitude. But maybe these moments, because we, we can sometimes disassociate from and go like, particularly if we're not in a place personally where you might be like, do you know what, this way, I've got a new job, I'm feeling quite good, and you're, you're kind of ruining my Sunday, Pastor, do you know? I'm feeling quite upbeat and stuff. Uh, there, there's a whole range of experiences, though, that could come into that place of what you might call desolation, or things where they're not quite as they, as they should be. 
And it might not just be as extreme as what we have heard read in this passage and what I've just alluded to in our world. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just like one of our readings that our staff through the week was from the book of Acts, and there's just that line that I, I caught my ear where it was talking about, and they were all healed. Hallelujah. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. And, and, and what about that whenever they're not? And you're just left there going like, they're all healed, and well, he wasn't. She wasn't. I wasn't. Or maybe it's just the sort of outstanding good news of Scripture and the known reality of our world just seems so far apart. Or maybe it's the whole idea of the power of prayer that we talk about, of what it means to, to, to walk God to intimacy in prayer. And you're just like, that just doesn't feel real to me. It just feels like so far from what my experience is right now. Or maybe it's just the ideal passionate Christian life of what it looks like. We grew up revering this sort of idealized version of what the Christian life looks like, and you find yourself working a job that you maybe hate, or just find yourself run down with the mundanity of life, going like, my life is nothing like what I thought it should be whenever he called my name, and I, you know, out of darkness ran into the wonderful light. Now, it might be like that, but it also, you might be in the same, it just might be that gap. It just feels tangible, real, substantial. And what's our response then if in, in these moments? Whatever the scale, the huge scale, the small scale, or, or whatever the case may be, our response. Sometimes it's like, I, my fear is, it's like, you know, we lost our job, our house burnt down, the animal, cat's dead, everything, and we just go like, blessed be the name of the Lord, all things work for the good of God, and you know, praise God, he's at work among us. And I'm just like, there's versions of that that sound a little bit more like denial than they do sound like biblical faith and response. Now, don't hear me wrong. Sometimes there's, there's power in just praising God right in the middle of a pit of despair. But it's not the only response. And it's certainly not the response we see here. What are we to do whenever we hit these bumps in the road, no matter how big they are or small? Or has the New Testament superseded all this? You know, the, the resolution of Jesus, the one that Jeremiah hoped in of this renewal. You know, certainly, we're, we're not there then, we are now, in this time. Does that all mean that, you know, what are you talking about? You know? And yet, I think there's clues the whole way through life experience in the Bible that that we are to do this. <laughs> I think of the disparity between the good news of what John uh, knew, the Apostle John on, on the island of Patmos, and he needed that revelation to come up here to see a different reality because he knew the good news, he knew the Lord, he had hope, but what he could see was the church being decimated. He was a political prisoner. He, he had to wrestle with the, 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 the absolute... Um, incongruence between what he believed by faith, but what he could see in the world with his eyes, they were so far apart that the angel had to say, come up here, John. The disparity of our own experience is another clue that we are to be in that space. 
the canon of Scripture, that is the Bible, the, the, all the books that go and make up the Bible. You know, you, you know read the, the Proverbs, the, the books of Proverbs, and we tend to put them on our fridge, and we tend to often think, you know, they're like promises that, you know, if we just do these things, um, that it's all going to be great. And the, the book of Proverbs functions to tell us how often good principles work, but it doesn't really answer the question and doesn't, well, what about when it doesn't work like that? But then we find the book of Job, which comes along and tells us when personal disaster, and we find the book like Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, we, we find within, and we find the book of Psalms, we find within the canon of Scripture a clue that actually whenever we have texts that say brilliant, clear, good news, wonderful, we have the canon of Scripture that says we listen to this story together and we allow these things to speak. Another clue that actually we are meant to take up this space. And the gospel theology that I think a lot of us would subscribe to is it leaves a very real tension of the not yet of the kingdom of God, which is about the return of Christ, the consummation of the kingdom. The not yet means, of course, we enter into that space, and of course, there's a reason for that disparity, and of course, we, the example of Jesus as the suffering Messiah who wept and cried out a psalm of lament in his final moment, people interpret the meaning and significance of that in different ways, but that's another um, Sermon, but there's the example of Jesus who cried the same prayers of lament. I mentioned uh, David Smith. Um, I'm just about to ruin a song for you. That's the warning. <laughs> um, so sorry if this is your, I don't know, your funeral hymn or something that you've picked, but um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, right? David Smith is a, I find this really challenging. So he says this, if you can listen to it, and I would say, I'll give you the caveat, there's probably a way you, could, you can recover the hymn for yourself and enjoy it, so, um, but just tell me how you get there. He says this, in the most bizarre fashion, these words have been written from their, con- uh, wrench, sorry, from their context, made the basis of a popular hymn and thus forced to justify a spirituality overflowing with joy, confidence, and the untroubled assurance that the untroubled assurance that the world is exactly as it should be. He quotes the verse, pardon for sin and a space that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside, great is thy faithfulness, brother, you can supply the tune. And he says, whatever merits this composition may have when read without the reference to the source of its opening lines, this is surely a dreadful misuse of scripture distorting the text from Lamentations by compelling it to serve an understanding of the life of faith completely at odds with the message of the book in which it's embedded. I like the hymn, just by the way, but I I take his point. That sort of edited view of these happy words wrenched from a context of misery, despair, and brokenness. What would it look like to, to put those back together? I don't think suppression of our questions or suppression of our doubts, suppression of our pains is the way to go. Particularly not in this moment. The, I can't even call it post-COVID moment because we're in COVID still, but this moment is it's not a time to suppress the doubts and questions or the pains. 
We've, we've made some progress with this as a church, I think. We've tried to, certainly tried to anyway, with the following of the Christian calendar in our worship. And um, for those of you who know, we've had various particular services around um, Good Friday that we, we really try not to find that resolution. We tr- really tried to find a place where we allowed discomfort and, and lament to be expressed. We had where Ash Wednesday becomes a service where we think about death and we think about the, the difficulties and challenge. And, and so we, we've, we've talked, we wrestle with what would it look like to engage with these difficult and darker emotions and, and aspects uh, to life. But it does leave me with that sense of why, why do we push pain aside? Is it just because it's less desired in the culture of our, of our day, of our community? Does pain and sadness not sell? Some of the, the staff will know I get a growing arc around the excited word. Um, you'll hear the excited word, it's not a banned word entirely, but I don't need you to, become, I don't need you to come to church and be excited. It's, it's not a requirement. I don't even need you to enjoy it, to be honest. Sometimes it would be useful, but... And I see social media posts, and nobody wants to paint a miserable picture for Sunday, let's be honest, but sometimes it just looks like so much energy is to generate this sense of excitement that the evangelical church needs to be excited every week in order to keep walking with God. And they fall flat in their face because if it's just excitement-driven, well, good luck if you think it's going to change your life. I don't need you to be excited. I hope you get excited maybe twice a year at least or something like that, but I don't, I, I don't need it. Is it because the people of power and privilege can buffer themselves better from pain for a time which sometimes comes at the cost of others less privileged? Global pain. We start to push it aside because it actually reminds us at times we're culpable, at times we're a part of the system. Do we need to always be full of, always full and happy to be good witnesses to God? Is there myths like that that we believe? Is the mature Christian the one who's constantly only bubbling up with the joy of the Lord? Joy is a mark of the Spirit, 100%. But is the mature Christian have to be always bubbling up full of the joy of the Lord? I think the answer is no. I think. We are to be people, too, who share the questions that sometimes need to, to be allowed to sear our hearts like they have done for Christians over and the people of God for generations. The question of how long? How long, O oh Lord? How long until the prayer that we pray that, on, that it will be on earth as it is in heaven is answered? How long? And Jeremiah could only, could only wait in hope. And he did this through the practice of pouring out his heart in lament as he waited. This was not quite, but this was his only, this was almost his only move. The honest lament would break the silence and he'd be the first move, and, and be the first move towards hope. And it, after one of the only glimmers of hope and lamentations, we find this posture in chapter 3, verse 26, where it's recorded, it says, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
salvation, Yeshua, where we get Joshua, where we get the word Jesus. It's good to wait on Jesus, the source of salvation, the name that means he saves, he delivers, he rescues. All we can do is wait on Jesus, take our hope from him. The story of Lazarus is, is, is profound in many ways. This, Lazarus is probably the equivalent to Jesus' best friend. Um, probably wealthy because Jesus would, would spend time with him. And you can imagine Jesus kind of getting away from the crowds a wee bit and just being like, you know, time with Lazarus was quality time. You know, the, the people that just give you energy and it's like, I can just be Jesus, whatever that means, and, and, and relax. That, that was Lazarus to him, a friend and the, the, the family that go with it. And so when he goes and he meets him, and it's when he sees the, the others so disturbed, and then he's, when he's led to where Lazarus is, it says he, he wept. He's overcome with emotion. And the question has long been asked and wrestled with is, why did Jesus weep? When we, he knew what he was just about to do, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So you could read that plainly and just go like, you know, why did he weep whenever it's going to be a happy ending anyway? And I think the answer we could give is Jesus wept because he was present to them in their pain. And no matter what he was still to do or about to do, it did not change the fact that he was present to them in their pain. And I think that applies to us. No matter what Jesus will do and is still to come back to do, Jesus is revealed as the God who is present to us in our pain. How lonely sits the city? Yeah, things do get that bad. Things do get that brutal. And the now famous line of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor, theologian, comes to mind. He says, only a suffering God could reach into the depths of the situation in order to lift us out. Speaking of the horrors of the Nazi Germany against the Jews, only a suffering God. Only one revealed in the flesh, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully human. May this encourage us in the comfort of Christ who weeps with us in our world's pain and in the same breath has the power to ensure one day things will be put right. May this encourage fresh conviction that honesty and struggle are valid ways to express or grow in maturity and maybe even provoke our own expressions of artistic honesty. May this also help us throw off the solitude or shame of being a second-rate Christian that can envelop the doubter or the one who feels on the receiving end of God's shoulder, cold shoulder. But we also, may we too enter our world's pain with the same compassion that Christ has shown us. Let's pray together.
Father, we know this story of Jeremiah is a call to return home to you, to return home. And yet at times that journey home seems so impossible, so far away from, because of pain, because of realities that are maybe only known fully to ourselves. Thank you that in Jesus Christ there is a way to return that is not based on our performance or us, but entirely based on your love that remains. Thank you that even when we do not see an outcome that can resolve the situation in any way, we have Jesus Christ, the anchor for our souls, who is whose name is love, whose name saves, whose name restores and delivers. We, we can wait and we wait on you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We are going to respond. Um, and our desire, we talked about it through the week, our desire is neither to suddenly resolve and sing a, 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 a strong hymn and go home. But nor is it to try and generate a false sense of mourning of, again, alluding to however we come this morning. We're not trying to generate an experience here. We don't have to generate even a, a dark experience. That's not our goal. But we do want to create that space where we respond in honesty and in worship. And leave stillness, leave silence, hear some spoken words of lament, and say some words of hope and, and allow that to come, maybe imperfectly, as our response uh, together before God. Um, let's just invite God's Spirit to lead us as we respond at home and as we gather in here. Let's worship God in our own way together. Amen. Um, Psalm 10 says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We sit in silence, you and I. We don't know what to say. It feels as though you've left us here and gone so far away. You found a hiding place so good. You've locked the door in a soundproof room in order to ignore the orphan cries, wrenching, raw and bleak, that punctuate the landscape of this cosmic hide and seek. Why do you stand so far away, almightily distant, nothing to say? Do you not see the evil that lurks, the prospering wicked, the ungodly works of the arrogant few? Do you not notice the sneering, the shame, the triumph of evil, the embittered blame, the injustice, unfairness, 
exploitation and greed, the disasters, emergencies, desperation and need. We sit in silence, you and I. We don't know what to say. It feels as though you've left us here and gone so far away. So rise up, Lord. Lift your hand. Remind us that you're near. Our troubles seen, our griefs observed. Help us in our fear. Your presence, once so strong and close, we need to know. Give ear to those who, who call your name. Dispose of evil. Break its arms. Vindicate the innocent. Shelter them from harm. For you see our trouble. Know our grief. Weep for every pain. You hear the weak. Defend their cause. This is no drawn-out game. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. <laughs>